0: Hear these words from Ruth chapter 4 as we finish our sermon series on this short little wonderful book this morning. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman, Ruth, who is coming into your, Boaz's house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord. They named him Obed, Servant. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David. Will you pray with me? Lord God, open our hearts and our souls as we hear your word preached this morning. Lord, may we remember that just as you used Balaam's donkey in order to preach your word, Lord, the method of the preaching the instrument, the preacher himself is not, Lord, is, not the, is not the point. The point is your word. Use me, Lord, as a vessel to preach your words this morning. Lord, I pray that if I say anything this morning, Lord, that I should not say, I pray that you would bring it to nothing in the hearts and minds and ears of those gathered. Lord, I pray that if, if I forget anything, if I fail to say something that you have for me to share, I pray that you would impress that point on the hearts of those present anyway. May your word come to us this morning. May your word be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. Are there any fans of puzzles in here? thousand piece puzzles, anybody? We have two of them Three of them, a few in the back. Okay. I, I've never really been a big puzzle guy. Um, I, we've done My wife and I have done one puzzle. Uh, we were actually on our honeymoon a couple years ago, and we went to Walmart for some supplies, and we randomly went down the game aisle, and we said, we should get a puzzle, because, you know, that's, that's trying to be impulsive. We said, we should get a puzzle. So we, we got it. And we, we brought it home, and we set it up on a card table, and we, we did this 1,000-piece puzzle over the course of, several weeks. And sometimes we would do it together. Sometimes when one of us were bored or needed something to do, we would do it. I was finishing my, uh, my master's thesis in seminary. And so when I needed a break, uh, you know, I would just go and do this, you know, this mindless puzzle. Um, my brother was actually living with us for a period of time because he was temporarily working near us. And so he would sometimes work on that. And when his uh, then fiance, now wife, was over, sometimes they would work on it. But, you know, bit by bit, this puzzle uh, got to the point where it Uh, became more and more finished and it was it was a tricky one it was one of those like it was like an ocean scene So there were just like huge swaths of uh, Just bluey gray green Water and you know at some point, you know once we got to the end once we did all the easy ones You know we had a pile of ocean pieces and you know you would go through one by one and say can this fit there? No, can this fit there and eventually as you you know begin to place more and more pieces it becomes easier and easier Until finally you come to the end of a puzzle, and I I hope that you guys find this as satisfying as I do and I have. You know, when you get to the final few pieces and you say, okay, I know this is going here, and I know this is going here, and then you slide that last piece in and it just kind of clicks into place. And it's just, like, it's satisfying. All of this work that you've done just finally reaches its completion, Right, this, this picture that you've had in your mind for weeks or days or months or however long it's been, you know, you've seen it you know, in miniature on the, on, the, on the box, but now you see it in all of its splendor and you see all the little artistic touches and they're all finally done and you feel the sense of pride and the sense of accomplishment as you finish it. This morning in the book of Ruth, as we finish the book of Ruth, we have a few of those puzzle pieces left. We're going to slide a few of them into place. By the end of this, we're going to be able to step back and we're going to to be able to see a picture of God's faithfulness to his people in little ways and in really, really big ways. This passage is interesting, as we've already kind of alluded to. It's full of names of people. And i'm going to try to keep the explanation of the names relatively simple we could go and you know explore all of these stories about all of these biblical characters but one thing i noticed as i was studying for this sermon is that all of the puzzle pieces sort of have a name attached each theme that gets nicely wrapped up has a character in history whether it was the ancestors of those who were in the story boaz and ruth whether it's the descendants of those who are in the story each puzzle piece has a name attached. So as we go through each puzzle piece, we're going to look at a couple different characters and see how they all fit together. The first puzzle piece, and I know, right out the gate, I've already cheated on this a little bit, but, but bear with me. The first puzzle piece is that of fruitfulness, God's abundance. We have a story that we've already seen, there was famine at the beginning of Ruth. In Bethlehem, of all places, a place whose name means, literally, house of bread. There wasn't any bread. There wasn't any food. So Ruth and her family, excuse me, not Ruth and her family because she was from Moab, Elimelech and Naomi and their family had to go to Moab in order to find a place where there was food. But when Naomi and Ruth come back from Moab... You already see hints of this, that the barley harvest is in full swing. The famine has ended. God has come back to meet the needs of his people. In biblical times, and this, you know, if this gets a little weird, I understand it, but try to put yourself in the mind and shoes of an ancient Israelite. In biblical times, abundance of grain and abundance of harvest was tied together with abundance of childbearing. There's a theme throughout Ruth that just as there was famine in the land, so there weren't any children in the family of Naomi and Ruth. Ruth never had any children of her own. And she might have been barren. She might not have been able to have children. Maybe her husband just died too early. We don't know that. Naomi had children, but they they passed away. They died in the land of Moab. But there was a dearth of fruitfulness, just as there was a dearth of famine. A dearth of food in the famine. But God, just as he visited... The land of israel and providing them food he provided descendants for naomi and for ruth the elders at the gate as they were as we talked about last week as boaz and you know this other guy who wouldn't redeem uh ruth and naomi and their family they they assembled some elders at the gate to kind of function as a notary and we kind of read the end of that story without going back to read the whole thing and at the end of that little legal session they pronounce a blessing on boaz And they say, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. So we have these characters, Ruth and Leah, who tie into this theme of fruitfulness. Rachel and Leah, they're names that you may know if you've read the Bible a lot. They are not necessarily central characters, but they're characters whose stories are kind of uh, expounded on a bit. Rachel and Leah were the two wives of Jacob. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Jacob's name later became Israel. He had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And all of the children of Israel, of Jacob, were descended in one way from Rachel and Leah. God used them. He gave them bountiful fruitfulness in order to have a number of children, in order to build up his people. The elders of the city, when they're pronouncing this blessing on Boaz and Ruth, they say, may you be fruitful as well. As, As God blessed Rachel and Leah, as God has blessed us with grain, may God provide for you children. May you participate in the blessing that God promised to Abraham, that he would multiply his descendants. May your name be great in Israel. May you bring people into the people of God. That's the first puzzle piece. Clicking into place. That where there was famine, where there was barrenness, God has brought about and will bring about fruitfulness. Our second puzzle piece and we've already talked about these a little bit, but this is, the, this is the section of Scripture where everything kind of falls into place. The second puzzle piece is related to Naomi. Back in that day, if you, were, if you were a widow, there was no Medicaid, no Medicare, no Social Security. Unless you had someone to take care of you, you faced poverty, perhaps slavery, perhaps Death. And one of the issues running through this story, it's not a central one, but one of the issues is that Ruth and Naomi have no no children to take care of them. There is emptiness as Naomi comes back. She says, the Lord has brought me back empty. Ruth was the same way. She was empty. But the elders of the city, as as we hear another name, they say in verse 12, and may your house be like the house of Perez. Now Perez, even if you've read the Bible a bit, you might not know who that guy is. That's not a name that, you know, automatically rings bells. But may your name be, or yeah, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. We've heard of Judah, right? It's one of the biggest tribes, the most influential tribes in Israel. Not to go into all the details on the story of uh, Tamar and Judah and Perez, because we would be here all day, I encourage you to go back in the book of Genesis and read that story if you're interested, I think it's in Genesis 36, I should have looked that up before I preached this, but it, it's back in the middle of Genesis somewhere. But Tamar was similar to Ruth in that she was married to a man and died, or, and he died without having children. And to make a very long story short, she married his younger brother, as you were supposed to do, because he was supposed to bring up children in order to carry on the name. That's another theme throughout the book of Ruth. And he died as well. And so God used Judah in order to raise up children for Tamar. And they had a son named Perez. And that's, again, that's not a household name for us, even if, you, even if you're a Christian, even if you've read the Bible through. That's not a name that you may remember. But the clan of Perez was one of the biggest, most influential in the tribe of Judah. Perez was an ancestor for at least Boaz, probably a number of the men who were in the gate. His, his tribe was great in Israel, And his story parallels that of Ruth, because he was a child who came along because someone redeemed his mother from childlessness. Someone married him and raised up a child, and his name became great. And the elders, as they're blessing the marriage of Boaz and Ruth, they say, may your house be like the house of Perez, who was born in similar circumstances. May your son together be as great as his clan is in Israel and Naomi indeed gets her grandson to take care of her for 16 then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse and the women of the neighborhood said he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you has more who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him There's this image here that Naomi takes her grandson and in some ways he becomes like her son. She holds him on his lap. She becomes his nurse. She finally has that promise from God, that emptiness that she felt, that really she railed against at the beginning of the book of Ruth. That emptiness is filled. God has brought for her a redeemer. God has brought for her fullness. Just as God has brought fullness of grain, Just as God has brought a child to the childless, God has brought someone to Naomi to care for her. And that second puzzle piece slides into place. The third puzzle piece is one that we've hinted at, but we haven't really dived into all that much in this story. The very first sentence of the book of Ruth tells us what may be to us just a a temporal marker. It says, In the days that the judges ruled. You know, when I, when I used to read that, I used to think, oh, you know, this is just locating it in sort of, a, you know, an era in Israel's history. So now I know when it is, and that's very helpful for me to kind of just locate it in my mind. But there's, there's a deeper meaning there. The time of the judges was a time full of wickedness. It was a time full of lawlessness. It was a time full of division in ancient Israel. When Israel left the land of Egypt, they wandered around in the wilderness, and when they finally went into the promised land, there was no king over them. There was no central rule, central government. They were ruled by all of these judges. And if you read the book of Judges, and I've, I've encouraged you to do so, if you read the book of Judges, you see how Israel slides further and further and further into wickedness and depravity. The theme throughout Judges, the refrain that the author of Judges always throws in there is there was no king in Israel in those days. Everyone did that which is right in their own eyes. There are two stories in particular at the, end of, at the end of the book of Judges. And again, if we had all the time in the world, we would maybe go into those stories. I would encourage you to go back and read them if you want to. Starting at Judges 17, there's about five chapters of absolute wickedness and depravity that is described. Funnily enough, coincidentally, perhaps not coincidentally, the depravity in each of those stories, there are two stories that last a couple chapters each, mention Bethlehem. This city, this house of bread, this place where Ruth is from, there's two stories. One of them involves a priest from the city of Bethlehem who turns away from serving the one true God of Israel and he goes off with this family who says, hey, we've got this idol in our house that we're just going to worship instead of the true God. Do you want to come be our priest? We're going to pay you a lot of money. And this priest from Bethlehem says, okay, I like money more than I like serving God. Let's do that. And there's a lot more to that story than that. And, you know, go back and read it. But at the center of it is this, is this priest who turns his back on God. The other story is It's a bit more dark. It involves a woman who's a concubine of a man, and she is from Bethlehem. The story involves them them traveling, and again, we're not going to get into all the details. But they stay at night in a city that reminds you, it's meant to remind you, of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a wicked city full of violence. And in the same way as Sodom and Gomorrah, the crowd... Kind of bangs on the outside of their door demanding this guy's concubine and so he because he is a wicked person says okay fine here you go and they abuse her and rape her all night and there's this awful scene the next morning and i, I i'm hesitant to say this but it's in the bible and it forms the background of this, so I I feel like I need to. There's this awful scene the next door where where he opens the door to the house that he was staying, and he sees the corpse. And the way the narrative reads, you get the impression that it's still warm. She's clinging to the threshold of the door. She was begging to be let in when she died. And he just kind of steps over her and says, Come on, get up, let's go. Then when he realizes that she's dead, he goes and takes care of the body. And that's, you know, the story goes on. But it's such an example of wickedness in Israel at this time. There was no king in Israel. And so as we read the book of Ruth, we're supposed to have in our minds these stories of absolute depravity, absolute wickedness, absolute rebellion against God and His laws and His word. We're also supposed to remember that it involves the city of Bethlehem. This place that's supposed to be the house of bread, the house of abundance, is tied to all of this wickedness. So when the narrator of the book of Ruth says, in the days that the judges ruled, that's not merely supposed to be a marker of time. It's supposed to be a marker of depravity, of wickedness. It's no accident that the book of Ruth ends with, there's really two sections that end with the word David. The last word of the book of Ruth is David. And the last word goes back to the very first sentence, in the days that the judges ruled. But the story of Ruth takes us from the judges to David. This is that third puzzle piece, that final puzzle piece of the book that slides in here. Just as God in little ways provides children for those who need children, just as he provides abundant food for those who are starving, so he provides a king for a people who are lawless and disunited and full of wickedness. And as we read the story of David, as it goes on into the book of 1 Samuel, as we read that story, we see David be a king who unites the nation of Israel. In the time of the judges, they were all disunited, kind of ruled by this confederation, this conglomeration of tribal leaders and judges. But David unites the kingdom. He brings the Ark of the Covenant back and he sets up a place for the worship of God. He doesn't build the temple that's left for Solomon, but he, he establishes a place and a city where it, that's going to be the capital of the kingdom, that's going to be this place where they set up the temple, that's going to be the place where they worship God. We see all of this wickedness undone by this king who leads his people to God. But... As we slide in that final puzzle piece, we find that it doesn't quite fit. Isn't that frustrating when a puzzle piece doesn't fit and you're sure it goes in that spot, but it doesn't. And maybe we have the wrong puzzle piece or maybe we switched pieces somewhere. But this King David, who the book of Ruth looks forward to, who is the one who unites Israel... He was not the one who saved Israel. David was wicked too. David was also a murderer. David was also a rapist. David was also a man who was corrupted by political power. He was not the king that Israel was looking for. He was not the final puzzle piece that was going to fix everything. But that's why we read the genealogy that we read this morning. Through Ruth and Boaz, God provided a king, yes. And David looks forward to that king, yes. But the true king of Israel, the true king who is going to undo the wickedness and the sin of the days of the judges, the true king of Israel who will save us, is Jesus Christ. Jesus, the king. Jesus, the Messiah. There's a prophecy that is probably familiar to you in the book of Micah. We don't mention that book a lot, but we see it on uh, you know, Christmas mugs and Christmas cards. Let me read to you uh, this you know, the first five verses of Micah chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you... O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, the city that Limelech and Naomi are from, the city that Boaz is from, the city that Ruth moved to, the city that their son Obed grew up in, that David grew up in, this city. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. And I should say this, the book of Micah was written several hundred years after David. It's not talking about King David here, it's talking about a future king that's to come. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. The prophets recognized that even the kingship of David, the greatest king of Israel, could not save the people. There would be another king to come. If I can read an incredibly familiar piece of scripture that is not only appropriate once again at Christmas time. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, And with that, the final piece slides into place, correctly this time. It pops in satisfying in a satisfying way. And we step back and we see what a beautiful book the book of Ruth really is. We see all of these levels of brokenness and emptiness... We see famine, we see childlessness, we see death, we see exile, we see lawlessness and division, we see wickedness and depravity of the deepest level. We see our own sin, that we do not live up to God's standard. We choose things that we ought not to choose. We leave things undone that we ought to have done. We do not and we cannot measure up. But God is faithful through it all. He's faithful in the little ways to bring bread where there was famine. He is faithful to raise up children for those who need offspring. He is faithful to bring a king to unite Israel. And he is faithful to send a Savior to save us from our sins. God is always faithful. He is always always at work through the brokenness, through the emptiness, through the sinfulness, He will always be victorious. So trust Him. In the middle of the darkness, when life seems bleak and hopeless, and you perhaps cry out as Naomi cried out, the hand of the Lord is against me who brought me back empty. When we become aware of our own sin and we see the depths of the depravity of our own heart, when I see the depths of depravity of my own heart, trust him. God will work it out through the life and the death and the resurrection of his son, and one day, one day, we will see the day where every tear is wiped away, every, every broken body is healed. All of those who are in Christ will rise from their graves and on that day be healed. And we will live as God has intended us to live because God, through the brokenness, through the wickedness, through the sinfulness, has been faithful so trust him as Ruth left her homeland to seek shelter under the wings of God Almighty may we seek shelter under his wings today whether that's for the first time whether that's what we've been doing for decades may we seek shelter under his wings